Welcome to Wednesday night. Let me get this set up here. You know, I, I started having to do my thing a little bit differently because I just like it better. So, all right. So, if you're new here, we are in the book of Acts. And uh, Pastor Steve preached a burner last week. It was really good. You should go listen to it. And so we're continuing on in the book of Acts. We're continuing on. Paul and Silas here. In Acts chapter 16, starting in verse 6 through 10, it says, Now when they had gone through Phrygia, And in the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After they had come to Mycenae, they tried to go into Bithynia, but again, the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mycenae, they came down to Troas, and in a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. So what we see here is for the first time that gospel is going to be preached on European soil. During this time, there were no lines between Asia and Europe, okay? The missionaries were just sailing across the Aegean Sea, traveling from one Roman province to another. They, they, didn't, they didn't know that this was Europe, this was eight, right? They didn't, they didn't know these things. And so um, what we see here is them having to go from Troas across the Aegean Sea and then into Macedonia. So we know from history that Europe became the first Christian continent and was until recently the main base for missionary efforts to the rest of the world. And it was from Europe that the gospel fanned out to Africa, Asia, North America, and Latin America, right? And Paul was only conscious of establishing churches. That's what he was conscious of. He wasn't conscious of where he was going. He was conscious of just establishing new churches. So here is his mission to Macedonia, and it involves visits to three principal cities in Macedonia, Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea. Perhaps you've heard of those. Yeah. Church to the Philippians, Church of the Thessalonians. The men in Berea were more honorable than others because they actually read the scriptures. (laughs) So this is Paul's second missionary trip. And he is visiting churches that he's already established. Paul and Silas here. He's going to confirm these churches. That means he's going back to these established churches and he's going back as pastoral oversight to nurturing nurturing and strengthening, maturing the faith of the churches he's already established. He's on a secondary missionary. He's on a secondary trip right here. But as we see, as they are trying to enter Asia, which would be the natural way of traveling for them from where they were going, okay, They are hindered to evangelize by the Holy Spirit. 
So we see they're hindered, right? Whatever, whatever way God wanted to, whether by a physical ban, whether it was in uneasiness in their spirit, whether it was a prophetic word, Paul was to go a different way. Verse 7, it says the spirit did not permit them. So in some way, the spirit did not permit them to go. Then they passed by Mycenae, right? It, they, ne- they neglected it. That's what it means. They passed by it. It means they neglected it because the, here again, the spirit said, don't go that way. Don't go that way. Don't go that way. <clears throat> so coming from the east, the only way to travel was northwest. They, these traveled a great distance. Literally, this was the farthest route possible. Imagine going, you know, like this, right? In a line where you're like, should have gone like this. They're traveling like this. They're, they're going the, the furthest way possible, right? And so I'm thinking about them. They must have been in a considerable state of perplexity. What's going on here? Did he not send us out? What's God's plan in this? Right? Because so far their, negative, their guidance has only been negative. Don't go that way. So then God sends a vision of a man in Macedonia standing and begging them, come over here. Come across the Aegean Sea and help us. So in all of this, we are seeing the guidance of the Holy Spirit. They are forbidden to go in one direction, but invited in another direction. The Holy Spirit says, don't go that way. And another way he says, come. And uh, I was looking at this, and there's there's some early evangelists that can really attest to this. Um, If you ever heard of David Livingstone, he tried to go to China, but God sent him to Africa. (laughs) William Carey planned to go to Polynesia, but God guided him to India. I don't know how to pronounce this. Adinaram Judson, if you ever heard of him, went to India, but was driven to Burma. So we we see here, right, we need to trust the Holy Spirit for guidance and rejoice equally in his constraints and his restraints. If you don't know the Lord, you will not understand this because it's a Holy Ghost thing. That's the name of my sermon. It's a whole, it's not up there. It's a Holy Ghost thing. King James says Holy Ghost. So I, I, for years, all my memory scriptures are in Holy Ghost. And I'm like, oh, Spirit, Holy Spirit. But Holy Ghost, same thing, same, same. It's a Holy Ghost thing. So what does it mean to you? Well, the first thing that it means is you cannot go out without the Holy Spirit to guide you. Every initiative in evangelism recorded in Acts is the resulting of the leading of the Holy Spirit. Every initiative. Either through prophetic revelation, uh, inward prompting, external circumstances or visions. Whatever it was, it was the Holy Spirit leading them, guiding them to go where the Holy Spirit wanted them to go. And Moses understood this principle. Exodus 33, 15 says, Then he said to him, Moses is talking to God, If your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. You know, I was thinking about that song, Your presence is enough for me. I was like, that's what I'm talking about tonight. (laughs) 
See, because Moses was convinced that without God's presence in his life, it was useless for him to attempt anything. It was useless. And when he spoke face to face with the Lord, he was saying, Lord, if your presence is not with me, I'm not going anywhere. I won't take a single step unless you're with me. And Moses knew it was God's presence in Israel that set people apart from other nations. The same is true of the church of Jesus Christ today. The only thing that sets us apart from non-believers is God with us. It's not our works. Lots of people do good works. There's there's so many parachurch organizations. There's so many people out there doing so much stuff. What sets us apart is God with us. Leading us, guiding us, working his will in us and through us. And Moses, he didn't care how other nations got their guidance. He didn't care how they formed their strategies. He didn't care how they ran their government. He didn't care how they directed their armies. He said, we operate on one principle alone. One principle alone. The only way for us to be guided or governed is to have the presence of God with us. That's it. Nothing else matters. If God is not with me, I'm not going. If God is not in this, I'm not touching it. God doesn't want to, if, if, if this is not of God, I don't want anything to do with it. And when the Lord's presence is in our midst, no one can harm us, but without him we're helpless and reduced to nothing. Let all the nations of the world trust in their armies and their chariots and their soldiers and new weapons, but we will trust in the manifold presence of God. That's it. I will not allow my compassion or emotional love for other people to persuade me to go where he has not sent me. Oh, yeah. I will not allow my compassion or my emotional love for others to persuade me to go where he has not sent me. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, obedience is not legalism. It's a symptom of salvation. People, well, I don't really need to obey the Lord. You know, I got faith. Okay. I hear, you hear it all. We are not here to build our own kingdom. We're here to build God's kingdom. It's not my gospel. It's his gospel. It's not my church. It's his church. It's his church. And so if I'm not allowing the spirit to lead me, then why? Because what's it about? Because if it's not about him, then it must be about me. The spirit goes where he wills, not where we want to go, not where where we want to do. Pastor Matt and I wanted to plant a church in Texas, but God wasn't in that. I kid you not. We wanted to plant a church in Texas. We wanted to stay in Texas and we wanted to plant a church in Texas. We didn't get what we wanted. <laughs> but we didn't also, we didn't force God's hand. We said, okay, God, if you're not in this, if 
your presence isn't here, I'm not, I'm not going here. I'm going where you're going. Amen. <clears throat> the second thing is, the Spirit's guidance is not only negative, but positive. You know, we look at things, and, 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 and God is really good at saying no. And he's really good at closing doors. But he opens doors as well. <laughs> Praise God. He's not just doors slamming in my face all the time, you know. What's that? Doors song by Frozen? Doors are slamming my face, right? I don't remember it, but anyways. Revelation 3, 7, it says, <laughs> And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one's opens. God opens doors and he shuts doors all the time. Uh, you know, when we uh, were down in Fort Lewis, we knew that God had called us to plant a church. It had been in our hearts for a while. And we, we felt like it was the time to start the church when we were down in Fort Lewis. And so we went out and began to look at houses and land down in Tacoma and the surrounding area there, trying to plant a church down there. We did this for months. We put offers in on houses. Like I, and when I kid you not, we put offers in on bad houses, paying everything, I mean, everything like that. And they're like, nope. And I'm like, how did that happen? <laughs> like, that's, that's not possible. How did that happen? I mean, we tried for months to plant a church in Tacoma. We're like, we're going we're gonna to get a house because we were living on, we were living on uh, Fort Lewis. So we were living on the military post down there. So we, we, for months, we tried to go out. We were trying to buy, buy land. We went and looked. I think we even put a down payment on a, we did. We put a down payment on a, um, you know, like a double wide the, uh, uh, manufactured homes, right? We put a down payment on a manufactured, we put a down payment on it and went looking for land. And every piece of land we said, it, something happened to it that we couldn't buy it. <clears throat> I mean, it was over and over and over again, like months and months and months and months. And, and Matt uh, just one morning just got so just sick and tired, and he calls a friend, and he's like, <clears throat> I don't know what's going on. God called us to plant a church. And he goes, did you pray about it? <laughs> Not really. <laughs> Did we pray about it? I still remember our real estate guy's name. His name was Herb. Poor Herb. I mean, whoo, Kevin, you think you got it bad. Herb. Whoo. And, and God kept closing doors, closing doors, closing doors. He didn't allow us to plant in Tacoma. He didn't. I mean, he just kept closing, 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 closing doors and and. So we, you know, we kind of tossed the dice and we're like, oh, we're going to plan on East Hill. And so we, we, we started in a school on East Hill in Kent. We, start, we met there for a year. We were, ended up, uh, we were in a school. And then, you know, um, it was uh, Miss Sylvia back there. Her husband worked for Aero Controls. And he said, I got a building down in Tacoma. It's, we, can, we can meet there all the time. We don't have to set up or tear down, blah, 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 blah. You know, and we're like, we're not, we're not Kent Church or we're not Auburn Church. We're Kent Church. And we didn't, want to move, we didn't want to move down there. But that's where God's presence had us. 
You know, and so when I look at our lives in just this short, that short amount of time, I'm like, man, I praise God he didn't give us what we tried to do. I pray, I praise God that we prayed about it and we put it before him because, you know, and the sad thing is folks, is that if you continue to break down doors and shut doors and circumvent his path, he'll give you over to what you want. He will give you over to what you want. And then you're out doing your own thing because he's not with you. You're doing what you want to do. He's not with you. So we have to stop breaking down those doors. When God shuts it, that means you walk away. You don't sit there and try to break it down. You don't try to circumvent his path. Paul and Silas could have easily have not listened to the Holy Spirit. They could have just walked across the border there. They could have walked into that city easily. <clears throat> but it wasn't, it wasn't God's will. That wasn't God's will. Stop trying to circumvent his paths. Stop trying to make a relationship work that he's not in. Can I get an amen from lots of people that have been there, done that, got the name tag to prove it? Tozer said, most Christians do not hear God's voice because they've already decided they're not going to do what he says. I love Tozer. You you want to get stabbed in the heart every morning? Read Tozer or Chambers. He's serious. He was serious about he was serious about his walk with the Lord. He was serious about it. If you already decide what you're going to do, why are you even going to ask? You already decided what you're going to do. Why why even bring God into it? You already decided what you're going to do. He will let you have your way. And when those doors open, though, you need to run through them. When the the opportunity presents itself, when that door opens, you need to run through. Because what I've noticed in my life, that sometimes doors are only open for a short amount of time and season. And if I, if I don't listen when that door's open and I don't go through it, when it opens, it closes and the opportunity is gone. The next thing that we learn from this is that his guidance is conditional. God attaches a condition to his presence in our lives. And, you know, and when we read about Paul, we know that Paul was all in for Jesus. Paul was sold out. He was completely sold out. Uh, Philippians 3, 8, 9. And this is Paul saying this. He said, yet indeed, I also count all things, all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness, which is from God by faith. So Paul had the same attitude as Moses. If if the Lord's not in this, I don't want anything to do with it. And you know what? I don't even care about anything else. My life is forfeit if I just would be found in Christ. Just to be found in him and following him and and obeying him. Nothing else matters but that I'm found in Christ. 
There's a condition, and this condition is found in Second Chronicles 15. King Asa here has led the armies of Judah to a great victory over Ethiopia's million-man army. Yet Asa testified it was God's presence that had scattered the enemy. It says, Asa cried unto the Lord his God and said, Lord, it is nothing with you to help, whether with many or with them that have no power. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rest on you, and in your name we go against this multitude. So the Lord smote the Ethiopians before Asa. So Asa and his armies led the triumph procession back to Jerusalem, and so then there was a prophet named Azariah, and he came out to meet them, and he had a message from God, and he says, Hear me, Asa, the Lord is with you while you be with him. And if you will seek him, he will be found of you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. Now, for a long season, Israel had been without the true God, but when they, in their trouble, did turn unto the Lord God of Israel and sought him, he was found of them. And this is that secret to maintaining the presence, that Holy Spirit of God in our life. And the Lord reminded Asa, right? He said, point blank, Asa, don't forget how you got this victory. Don't forget, you sought me with all your heart, turning holy to me when you were in trouble, and I sent my presence unto you, and it was my presence that put your enemies to chase. And Azariah was telling Asa, do you remember what the kingdom was like before you came to power? Do you remember? Everything without a kilter, there was no law, no guidance, no righteous teaching. Everyone was a law unto himself, doing his own thing. Kind of sounds like today. Kind of paints an accurate picture of many Christian homes today. Everything's out of order. There's no authority. No peace, no rest. Everyone does what they please. Many families have become tragic, dysfunctional messes. The church of the living God has become a consumer-driven grocery store. You can't go your way and do your own thing and put God's stamp of approval on it. That's not how it works. He's not in it. He's not in it. You go your way, do your own thing, and say, oh, God told me to. Oh, okay. Tell that to God. But it doesn't have to be this way. No Christian home has to remain dysfunctional. God's promises are unchangeable, and his word pledges for the rest of your life, as long as you continue to seek me, I will be found of you. Now, seeking is a daily thing. Seeking his face. It's seeking, God, what would you have me to do? What would you have me to do in this, God? What's your direction in this, God? Where do I go in this? Where do I go in this? What do I do in this? Every day. This is not complicated. It's not a complicated theology. Anyone can have that abiding presence of the Lord. Anyone. If you will seek him. If you will seek me, I will be with you. If you remain in me, my words will remain in you. Right? One of my favorite sermons, if 
the most powerful word. If. James 4, 7 says, therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. Amen. See, most people, men, not most, I don't want to say most, many people can't resist the devil because they're not submitted to God. You're not submitted to God in your finances. You're not submitted to God in your marriage. You're not submitted to God to your church. You're not submitted to God. Like, oh, I believe. But you're not submitted. You're not submitted. I, I, was, I just told Jen this earlier. If there, if there is 1% of rebellion in you, Satan will find it and he will expose it. He will. You, 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 you yourself cannot overcome the enemy. He's too strong for you. It is only through the power of the Holy Spirit that we can resist temptation, that we can come against the devil, that we don't have to give into those things. But if you're not submitted to God, you can't resist the devil. God makes special promises to those who determine to seek him with all their hearts. But it's conditional. It's conditional. Scripture makes it very clear that if we abide by the rule of God's covenant, we will enjoy the incredible blessings of God's presence in our life. I'm not talking about what God can give me. I'm talking about I need God to go with me. There's a big difference. Thank you. I, I, you know what? I'm, I'm just at a place. My, I don't, I don't care if God does another thing for me. Honestly, I don't, I don't care. He doesn't have to bless me with anything. He doesn't have to give me. He has done enough for me. Amen. But I cannot live one day without His presence. Amen. Your presence is enough for me. Truly, it is enough for me. The Holy Spirit going with me. The Holy Spirit in my daily thoughts. The Holy Spirit praying for me, making intercession for me with groanings which cannot be uttered. The Holy Spirit leading me and guiding me. You, you can't buy that. You can't give me enough money to sell it. God revealed this covenant of his presence through an unnamed prophet who delivered a message to Eli, the high priest of Israel. And at this time, Eli was backslidden. The Lord had been speaking to him, warning him against allowing sin and compromise. And Eli ignored God. And if you remember this, it's in 1 Samuel. We talked about this. We've, we read this probably months ago now. 1 Samuel chapter 2, the Lord God of Israel says, I said indeed that your house and the house of your father should walk before me forever. But now, says the Lord, be it far from me, for them that honor me I will honor, and they that despise me shall be lightly esteemed. That, that lightly esteemed actually means that God lifts his presence. That's what it means. It has to do with God lifting his presence from somebody, from something. Right? God told Eli, he said, I would have been with you. I, I was going to bless your house. I was going to do all these things for me. I intended to give you favor, but you scorned me. You became soft on sin. You allowed your lust to push me aside. And now I will take my presence from you. It's conditional. It's conditional. 
And many people come to Christ with a great initial burst of faith. Yet over time, their zeal wears thin and they begin to neglect the Lord and go their own path. Lightly esteem his commands. And they still believe God's presence remains with them. No, this is a lie and it's a delusion. The Bible makes it clear if you forsake him, he will forsake you. We, we can't do our own thing and expect that God is in that. The Holy Spirit is not in your sin. The Holy Spirit is not in your path. The Holy Spirit is not in your ways. He's not. God's promises never fail. They never fail. God said, if you, right, Joshua, if you will... If you will do what I've asked you to do, I will never leave you and never forsake you. That's a promise of God. But it was conditional. It was conditional. We can't remain in sin. His presence will not be with us. Next thing. The Spirit's guidance is supernatural, not always logical or rational. It made no common sense to travel the path in which Paul and Silas were guided on. They were not permitted to go into Asia. They neglected Mycenae for what purpose? Why? Because God said so. It's just because God said so. I don't know why. Because God said so. Because God did not permit them. Right? A good thing isn't always a God thing. It would, have been, it would have made perfect sense to go into Asia. After all, Jesus said, go into all the world. Right. Well, yes. But according to God's plan, according to God's spirit, not your plan, not your spirit, not your wants. We can spend our whole life doing good works and God may not be in it. Works are one of those things you can get caught up in. You can think, man, I'm doing good for the Lord. I'm doing good for the Lord. And God's like, I'm not in that. And you won't even find out to the end of your life if you're not careful. He's not in your way. He's not in your works. He does things in his way according to his plan. There's several scriptures that talk about this, right? The, the, on that day when, you know, uh, men come to him and say, Lord, we did all these things in your name. We, we cast out demons and we healed the sick. We did all these things in your name. It was for you. And he said, nope, depart from me. I never knew you. Wasn't for him. It was for you. Wasn't about him. It was about you. Wasn't about his name or his kingdom. It was about you and your kingdom. And that success is not always a good measure of pleasing God. Mormons have been successful. Jehovah Witnesses have been successful. Islam's been very successful. The sex industry has been very successful. It's not a good indication. The only true success in our life is monitored and judged by God. Did I do what he asked of me? 
Did I go where he asked me to go? Did I not go where he told me not to go? Did I do what he asked me to do? Right? And it's supernatural. Don't go this way, go that way. God dwindled Gideon's army down to 300. That makes no sense. But it's God's way. It was God's way. He led the Israelites by way of the Red Sea. That was not the closest route, people. It was not. It was not the closest route by way of the Red Sea. So I'm going to lead you by way of the Red Sea. Where are you doing, God? Just watch me. Just follow me. He told Naaman to wash seven times in the Jordan River. For why? Because God said so. You want to get healed? Do what I tell you to do. Wash seven times in the Jordan River. Or don't. He used dirt and spit to bring eyesight to the blind. That makes no sense. Abraham put Isaac on the altar. Why? Because God wanted him to. God does what he pleases. And his, his path is not the path of least resistance. It's the narrow and afflicted path. And you have to trust him for the outcome. It's the path of trusting God for the outcome. That's why I, I think he does things supernatural, because he's like, I'm going to blow your mind. Just watch me. Because then we can say, I was not in that. It, that was all God. I was not in that at all. And lastly, the Spirit's guidance is not only personal, but it's corporate. In verse 10, it says, now after he had seen the vision, talking about Paul, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. So on the secondary trip, we see here Paul and Silas went about confirming the churches. They were strengthening new believers. Um, and, and this concluding means to bring together, to being together in one's mind, to, it's to infer from a variety of different data. Okay? And, and what's interesting here is that Luke is the writer of Acts, y'all didn't know that Luke was the writer of Acts and so he now joins Paul and Silas in this missionary effort he interjects himself right just ever so slightly into into this into this story here now after he had seen the vision Paul immediately we when you go back everything says they so Luke now comes and is joining them in this mission he's, he's interjecting himself in it But what's interesting here, this wasn't about Paul, it's not about Silas, nor is it about Luke. It's not about me, it's about we. It's about his church. And one of the, one of the prevailing things of today is that the church belongs to the people. No, it doesn't. The church belongs to Jesus. It's his church. You know, so I'm going to say something real quick. Um, I don't know if this is even in my notes. Maybe it doesn't know. Anyways, um, you know, I do a lot of study on the book of Revelation. And the, the last church in the book of Revelation is the Laodicean church. And perhaps you've heard of that. It's the lukewarm church, the Laodicean church. It's the seventh church of seven churches. It is the last church of history. 
Every other church has a time period and that you can see where it fits into history. Laodicea is the last church of history. If you want more on this, I can show you more on this. I can talk to you more about this. But what's interesting about the name Laodicea, Laodicea actually means the judgment of the people. That's what it means. You know, and when I look around today, everybody's like, well, I'm the church. I'm like, no, you, you ain't the church unless you're part of the we. And the lukewarmness was not the main problem. It was a symptom of a deeper problem. It was me-centered Christianity. Jesus says, he said, you say I am increased in riches, therefore I don't need anything. And it was, it has to do not just with material riches, but spiritual riches. That the Laodicean church says, well, I'm increased in these riches. I'm increased in the riches of God. I have the Holy Spirit. I can do what I want to do. It was very me-centered. That's why Laodicea is called the judgment of the people. The church is not about you, me. It's about us. It's we together collectively. And then it doesn't belong to us belongs to him the church was his idea not ours the church was not man's idea it's god's idea from the beginning did you notice that poncius went about establishing churches they didn't just go preach to somebody they put them in churches they collected them together and put them in a church he said you 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 need to get together now and I'm going to put a pastor over you. John 17, 11, Jesus said this. He said, now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to you. Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me that we that they may be one as we are, as we are one. The church is the one. We're supposed to operate as one. And I is not a one. I mean, he's a, he's a one by himself. He's not a one with the group. It is rarely the case where one man will receive a word from God without confirmation. And and really, when you see this, you only saw it in the Old Testament and to to specific men. Because God, and and God would still confirm the word of their men, of of that that prophet. You know, know, when I met Matt, like God had told Matt he was going to build a church and he never told me about it, and then God confirmed that word in me. Like God confirms his word. And that's what we see here is that Paul said, I had a vision, the men got together, and they confirmed it. They confirmed it together. It wasn't Paul saying, we're going to go do this, I'm the leader, you follow me, we're going to do this. Well, Paul, I'm, I'm not so sure about that. And, and God raises up pastors, and, and, and he'll give them a vision, but there's, al- there's always a confirmation of that word. There's always a confirmation of the word. Paul's calling was confirmed. Timothy's calling was confirmed. Peter's calling was confirmed. These were not lone voices. And God may speak to you about something, but that word will be confirmed. One of the laws was in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word of God will be established. 
And, and, and he was talking about the judgment of God that every word would, would be established by two or three people. But it's, but it's a spiritual principle, right? It's, that's why it says the voice of the prophets is subject to the prophets. You're not an Old Testament prophet. I, I, seriously, I had a lady come in one time. And she's like, I, it was, it, it was prophesied over me that I'm an Old Testament prophet. And I'm like, well, you're in the wrong century. <laughs> This is why I'm very careful when I, when I, when like, okay, is this God speaking to me about somebody? I don't just go willy nilly talking. I'm like, I better, I better make sure I'm hearing from God. If I'm not sure, I'll pray about it and pray about it and pray about it. And, and, and always, always I share it with other people that I know have a prophetic anointing and they they will say, that's a word from God. That's a confirmation. That's a word from God. That's how God does things now. It's he works that way, and that's why we're supposed to be in a body. The, the, the uh, gifts all work together. It's a collective thing. Yes. The Spirit is not guiding you to build your ministry. Yeah, because it's not about us. He's about building his church. He's about doing his will. Matthew 16, 18 says, And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He didn't say, Bob will build his own ministry, and the gates of hell will not prevail. (laughs) Bob the builder. (laughs) One day our work will be judged. One day our work will be judged. In Ecclesiastes 12, 14, it says, For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. And the Bible talks about this, that if, it, if you are not building his kingdom, if it's not for him, if it's your own thing, then your work will be burned up. And you, it said you could be scarcely saved, but your works will be burned up because they weren't lasting. They weren't about him. They were about you and your kingdom and what you wanted to do. We are fully accountable to God for our deeds. And the Lord will evaluate each of us and he will judge our works. If God's called you to something, he's gonna, he will confirm it. He will confirm it. So tonight... I want to end in this, and I want you to ask yourself, can we pray play as we pray? The, the, these are the things, as I, was, as I was working on this myself, as God was speaking to me about things, I want you to ask yourself, are you fully submitted to the Holy Spirit in every area? Are you, be, are you fully submitted to to him are you submitted to his word are you submitted to his ways have you submitted your kids have you submitted your marriage have you submitted your family have you submitted your finance when i say every area i'm at, i say every area has to be submitted to the lord your thoughts do you submit your thoughts do you submit your submit your ways submit your path is it truly submitted to the lord and ask yourself, is my work for the Lord? Is it truly for the Lord? 
Or is it for you? Are you lifting him up or are you glorifying yourself? This, this is that deep examination. It says the word of God cuts, cuts the skin from the bone, the flesh from the bone. It hurts. It hurts when God begins getting in there and he starts moving things around and he begins examining us and he begins examining our motives because it's not enough just to do something. God is concerned about the motives behind it. What is your motive for that? Examine your heart and your motives. Let the Holy Spirit examine your heart. Examine your motives. Is the Spirit guiding you? Is God's Word guiding you? Is He your guide? Or are you doing your own thing? Just take a minute. Let the Holy Spirit minister to you tonight. Lord, I thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for your word. And as people are praying, if you, if you don't even know what I'm talking about because you don't have the Holy Spirit because you're not saved, if you don't know who Jesus is, you can only receive the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ. And he died that you could come into relationship with him. If you would just say, Lord, forgive me my sins and I'm going to run to you. He will receive you and he will seal you with the Holy Spirit of promise. He promises it. His word says it. That if you believe, if you truly just believe and trust that he died for your sins, that, that you can be completely forgiven, that you can be made new, he will do it. He said he would. If that's you, if there's anybody here tonight and you need prayer for that, just raise your hand. I won't even make, I won't even make you come up. I'll just look at you and I'll send someone to you to pray for you. Thank you, Lord. Father, I thank you for this word tonight, God. Holy Spirit, we don't, we don't do a good job of examining ourselves. Lord, you examine me. Examine my heart, examine my mind, examine my motives. Lord, let me do all for your glory. God, let our hearts cry be, if your present doesn't go with us, we will not go. We need you, Lord. We need your presence. Father, we thank you and we praise you. We give you praise and glory and honor, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.